sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Am I the only one who thinks this is totally insane? Rob, we're fighting theological injustice here. They're not using just weights and majors. He said we have 50 listeners. I think he's being generous. Rage your Bible is interpreted by experts. Rob, are you as shocked as I am? It's nonsense. If you've given any money to this, you need to complain. You ask for your money back. I don't know about you, but I find this annoying. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. My name is Caleb Hegg, and with me today, of course, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? Wait, I'm not hearing you. Are you muted? Here we go. There you go. I had to clear my throat. I'm battling a little bit of a little thing, and so I... Oh. I muted my mic, so nobody had to share in that yes. moment. Yeah, how you doing, man? Good to good to be with you. Yeah, yep. It's it's uh, good to be on the show this week. We're gonna, I think we're gonna have a pretty good show. I hope so. <laughs> after all, after all, we have opinions. <laughs> That's all that really matters in the in this movement, right? <laughs> opinions. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? People people will say they're out there saying things they're claiming to teach truth and we investigate. You know, we're gonna go let's let's look at what this person said and let's let's uh let's weigh it, let's evaluate it, let's form an opinion about it, and let's share that opinion. Sometimes that offends people. Yeah. So you know what? Then so, don't then don't listen to then don't listen to an opinion show. So check this out. Stephanie uh, is on in the chat room right now, and I'm not positive, but I think she had a baby like two days ago. I'm not positive. I didn't even know she was pregnant until I saw pictures on uh, Facebook. Anyway, if you just had a baby, Stephanie, congratulations. That's awesome to you and your family. Okay. Yeah. Opinion show. Well, let me tell you, we uh, so a couple of weeks ago we had somebody write in and say, "Hey, uh, love the show, but uh, I I, I, tr I keep trying to share it with people at my congregation, and and they keep saying that you're you're coming down on people. It's uh, it's not you know you're too critical and arrogant. I think was the other word, critical and arrogant. And actually, I appreciate the person's email. It was a good email." Um, but we, we got an overwhelming amount of response from people um, who, who basically said, well, uh, you know, how, how else are you supposed to, you know, you're not too critical. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to call out the, the nonsense. I wonder if Mike Rowe would get dirtiest jobs if he had come and <laughs> sit in with us. <laughs> nice. This week, the Robin Caleb Show. <laughs> Um, so uh, we, I got a call, and I should say this. So our, our hotline, I gave out a number last last week for uh, a comment line for Tor Resource Radio. Now, th this comment line, I'll start with this, because this comment line can be used for anything. You can call in, tell us how much you hate us, tell us how much you love us, tell us how much you are indifferent towards us. Uh, don't even you, know, you can call about anything you want. It, it goes straight to voicemail. 
Uh, so, you know, you can call about uh, your favorite song that might be on Torah Resource Radio or a teaching that you heard or a point that you'd like to make or whatever. Anyway, so last week I gave out this number. However, I didn't. we didn't realize the service that we were using only allowed 30 seconds of voicemail. So we got like three or four people calling trying to leave a message, but it kept kept cutting them off. Mm. Yeah. So I've we fixed the problem. I got a new number for 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 y'all, okay? Here's the new Tor Resource Radio comment line. Get ready with your pens and pencils people cuz I expect to get a lot of messages now. 253 465 3205. That's the new number. 253 465 3205. Okay. So one young lady decided to give us a uh, a call. And leave a message. She couldn't, so finally she ended up calling, calling the office. The thirty seconds wasn't enough. Yes, exactly. And so <laughs> Erna, Erna called. She said she's uh, one of the original thirty-six. She's she's old school thirty-six, uh, and she's been listening since episode one. We got a couple of people like that, you know. We yeah, got yeah, we do. I think you Ad, know who you are. You know who you are. I think Adam Smith has has uh, been with us for every single show. Uh, anyway, um, so Erna called. She said, hey, don't listen to those people. She said that I do have one criticism. The one criticism is you guys need to be on more than once a week because we, <laughs> we, we need we need more Rob and Caleb. So, you know, I sure do appreciate the call from Erna. Now, I asked Erna, hey, you know, when we get all this this uh, mail, uh, this these emails that, telling us that we're too critical. Maybe I should just send them to you and you can respond. And Ernest said, you send those right over to me. I'd be happy to respond. Now, Rob and I were talking about this earlier uh, before we came on the air. And we were, we were thinking that maybe what we would do is we'd, uh, we'd, we'd set up a little, a little segment called Ask Erna. And if you send, you know, if people send in their hate mail or whatever, we'll, you know, we'll choose, we'll, we won't overwhelm her with, with what we're getting, but maybe we'll send we'll select, her, yeah. we'll select one or two, you know, every once in a while, send it over to Erna and then whatever she responds, we could even have her call the hotline and leave her response. Yeah. It's a voicemail. Ask Erna, oh, we're man. An ask the, Erna segment that we'll occasionally have. So <laughs> oh, that'd be so you good. You have to hear Erna's voice. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, that'd be so good. I'd have to come up with some good music. Okay, anyway. Ask Erna. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, the wheels are already turning. Anyway, okay, so hey, what up and shalom to everybody out there. If you're in the chat room, thank you. We got some. Uh, we got a lot of people who asked to be in the chat room this, this week. Our chat room right now is on Facebook. I'll get this out of the way, too. Our chat room right now is a Facebook group called the Robin Caleb Show Chat Room. <laughs> Surprised that we came up with that. Mm-hmm. I, I came right out of my own head. Anyway, um, so what we're going to do uh, next week, I think we're taking the week off because it's Yom Kippur. Um, but the week after that, we are going to try a go-to meeting. And what we're going to do is if you would like to sign up, we'll send, we'll send everybody uh, uh, the, uh, the way to sign up for the chat room. What you'll do is you'll sign in. We're going to turn everybody's uh, mic and, and video off. And the only video that will be shown will be Robin Mind. So you'll be able to watch the show live, too, if you're part of the chat room. And then there's a chat feature at, in GoToMeeting. And you'll be able to, we'll be able to see the chat live right there. So not only will you get a chat room, an exclusive chat room, but you will be able to, uh, you'll be able to watch the show live now, too, if you'd like to. Listen and watch. So you can visually 
it will complement your your audio experience. Yes, exactly. By having visual of our antics. I don't know. I don't know why people would want to watch us anyway. But like like right now, I'm I'm holding the Torah resource mug filled with nice, cool, refreshing water, which. You can't see, but you can see the mug. You know, two weeks ago, I told people that they should send in, you know, like if they want, I'll, I'll drink out of mugs on, uh, on, uh, on uh, air. If you if you have a mug you want featured, you could ship it to either Caleb or, or yeah. myself. So nobody's also, done it. Though. I, also, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I'm doing a little bit of innovation. I've actually got a Tor Resource uh, shirt on today, so I'm I'm doing double double duty on the uh, representation. Yeah. Okay. Um, so anyway, I'm trying to get all this. Uh, all this. Uh, Eventually, we'll have a show that's uh, in virtual reality. You, everybody puts on a web. And we'll all be like in the same virtual space. So Robert asks a good question. He says, uh, "He says, does GoToMeeting have a limit on on the amount of participants? No, it does not. It so it uh, does have a limit on we how many people can can uh, <laughs> display video. But since people won't be displaying video, it's not going to matter. Yeah, people will have people's mics and. Except ultimately, because I was thinking about this too, Caleb, eventually we want to be able to take calls somehow. I don't know if I want to do that. We already can do that. Well, if – oh, okay. I guess we could. You're right. We've done – we've had people through Skype. We've had people call in, like Dr. Brown, like he had to call in. So there was – but if you have a – you know, then you have to have like a lot – like a waiting well, no, we, list. No, we, we, already, we already figured out the software and everything. Trust me, I got this all. If we ever want to take calls, we can. And Robert says so. Then hypothetically, there could be more than thirty-six. Well, we'll That's cross right. that bridge when we come to it. Okay. So there's two. Well, let, let's. We better go. We need to go uh, mystical on that oh, because okay. we have our original thirty-six, and then you have anyone, anyone the show, show level. will have the, the first thirty-six that sign up that. Day, the, yeah. It, so, there's so, like a, you, so any one one show where on the go to meeting, there's the first thirty six people who log in. They, they, um, they receive merit, not the <laughs> oh, owner, oh, oh, They receive merit from the original thirty six. Oh, oh no! Who have that seat? Oh, okay. Now we're getting weird. Okay. okay so, um, if you want to know how to sign up for uh for the the uh. The chat, the new chat room. Here's what's going to happen. We'll send something out to our list of people. Sixty four. <laughs> what, what's that? So if you have a, if you fill it with hundred, Michael says you'll have the, the original thirty six, and then the other sixty four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so uh, if you want to uh, sign up for our show notes or whatnot, and um, by the way, our uh, kudos to Michael. <clears throat> this uh, Rob and Caleb show page, which can be found on Torah Resource now, is really, really coming along. Uh, you can sign up now for show notes. And if you sign up for the show notes, you'll get instructions on how to sign up for the new uh, chat room. We'll also try to send something to everyone who is signed up for the current chat room on the Facebook group, and then that that will go away, I believe. So uh, if you want to get show notes, do this. Go to TorahResource.com, hover over the internet radio button in the toolbar, and then the last one down is the Robin Caleb Show. Go to that page, and you can find everything and anything that you would ever want to know about the Robin Caleb Show pretty much right there. Okay. Did you have a good uh, Yom Teruah or what? Yeah. Did you actually hear a shofar blown? Mm-hmm. So Many. Uh, Adam Adam uh, Smith uh, sent me uh, uh, a Snapchat 
Uh, yes, that's right. I'm trying to be a youngin'. I got Snapchat. Anyway, so he, he sent me a Snapchat of uh, they don't have a shofar. So he downloaded like three different shofar apps, and his daughter just kept pressing the right. shofar. Oh. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, yes, we heard many uh, shofar as There's well. There's a great, I think, was it Mark Randall? Someone had posted uh, a segment of your dad, Tim Haig, uh, blowing the shofar on yes. YouTube. It's on uh, Facebook. This yes. is about like one minute, one and a half minute clip. Excellent clip. Thanks, Mark, for doing that. That was great. Yeah, that's uh, you know that's what you get when a when a trumpet player picks up a shofar. So, um, yeah. So uh, Yom Tov was great. Uh, I had a great time, and then I was asked uh, to go down to a bris after, and I'll keep everybody's name out of this uh, be, just because, but uh, I was asked to go down to a bris that was happening on Yom Teruah. Which is Ashkenazi for Brit. Yes. Covenant. Brit Covenant, Milah. Just so pe- people know. Okay. Yes. So basically, uh, you know, uh, a little boy was uh, was getting snipped. And this is the cool part. So... Uh, the and our our community, I don't know how we got so blessed, but uh, we don't just have one moil. We have multiple moils. So if one of our moils is uh, is busy doing something else, then uh, of course you know there's other options, which a lot of a lot of uh, congregations don't even have one uh, moil, and the moil is the person who does the uh, circumcising. So. Uh, the moyal came down, and, and uh, the, he asked the father to hold the legs of the little guy. And, uh, man, what a trooper that kid was. Hardly made a peep. Didn't cry hardly at all. Um, and so the, uh, the moyal put the clamp onto the, you know, I, I don't know if anybody's ever seen. I, I'm not trying to be graphic, but this is really cool. He put the clamp on. Okay, and uh, basically, what the, the clamp, clamp protects the important parts from yes. the foreskin. The yes. foreskin. So, so, so there's it, no there's so there's no uh, chance of that's bad right. snip, bad snipping. So okay. basically, the skin comes up through the skin that's going to be taken away comes up through the uh, through the clamp, and then uh, you, you cut what's on the top of the clamp basically. And so the uh, the father's sitting there holding the uh, the legs of this little boy and the uh, the moil. Pulls out the uh, the the blade, and uh, he just looks at the father and he says, "Okay, now take this." <laughs> and the and the dad grabs the the knife and he goes, "Okay, now just cut flush with the with the metal." And you could see the almost like panic for a few seconds in the father's face. Like and he says, "Wait, wait, wait, just one cut." And he says, "Yeah, just one cut." And he says, "And just straight down." He goes, "Yep, flush with the metal." Says okay, and he, sure enough, that so the father circumcised his own son. Wow, that you was know, awesome. It was really cool. It was really really cool. So you know, and of course, uh, what and the a, grandpa was there, and the grandpa, both sets of grandpa and grandmas were there. It was it was awesome, and uh, so really a cool thing to see, especially on Yom Teruah, because obviously Yom. T- now, the significance for me was uh, was tantamount. Uh, I, I just thought it was great because, you know, you have Yom Teruah, which is the coming of the king. The shofar blast will sound, you know, the king comes for his bride, right? And then, of course, we have the uh, the sign of, of circumcision, which uh, in my mind and what I think the scriptures teach is that circumcision is actually uh, showing that the, uh, 
that the that the Messiah would come uh, through uh, miraculous means. That that is without the the uh, use of uh, the male organ of procreation. And so we cut that we cut it away to show that the Messiah would uh, would essentially be divine, right? That he would be deity. That he would be Emmanuel, God with us. Which is in, exactly, and that's inseparable from as. Paul unpacks this in Romans 4, uh, inseparable from the Abrahamic covenant of yes. righteousness by faith, yeah, righteousness exactly. by faith, and built on righteousness, righteousness by faith, the promise of Isaac, right, which was he was born, as you point out, Caleb, he was born in a double miracle kind of way. First of all, his mother was Akara, she was barren, and she was, not only had she been barren her whole life in her normal, you know, where, where a, a normal woman would be able to bear children. I don't, I'm just using more normal meaning, normal birth bearing years. Um, but she was well beyond the menopause age. Yes, so exactly. it was like a double thing against. That's why they laughed, right? When he laughed, yeah. it says he laughed, Yitzchak, and that's, that, that's his name. So the name is the laughter, Yitzchak, the child born of a miracle to one who was basically dead. It's like life from the dead. This is a, so Isaac, Yitzhak, he laughs. This is the, the, the fact of resurrection, the fact of the resurrection that when it came time for that other uh, critical part of the lesson for us is, is in Genesis 22, which also has the imagery of the ram and the, the horn caught in the thicket. But that, that the Lord said, look, I'm going to, it says Nisa, he tested, but it's not tested to tempt, to try to get Abraham to sin, but to demonstrate that Abraham was building his whole life, his whole conception of what is real and what is valuable was based on emunah mm -hmm. and trust in God, and to demonstrate he, that he also feared God above all was that he was not going to choose now that his flesh has the flesh side had been satisfied wow now i have an heir now i have someone to pass on my material wealth and i can be assured of material longevity of my offspring god said as valuable as that is to you avraham i i need the whole world needs to know that i'm more valuable to you than all that and that's what the akidah is about and uh, and paul tells us that this was like a belief in resurrection because by faith, Abraham already knew that God is true. He had yeah, shown exactly. himself true time and again, and, and he, he was, knew. And he was already part Isaac, of the covenant. And he yeah, was already part of the covenant I, before that, yeah. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. He already had that promise. So he's like, okay, well, I'm going to do whatever Elohim tells me to do, because he's already promised that through Isaac, my seed is be called. And that means if he has to resurrect him from the dead, then that's what he'll do. Yeah, so be it. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I, I just I just thought it was really cool that you know you you have the uh, the fall festivals which are the uh, the coming of the king the uh, the uh, Yom Kippur which is the making righteous making uh, you know the atonement for the elect and then of course uh, uh, Sukkot which uh, is the the living or uh, dwelling with the king the the uh, the Messiah Yeshua himself and so you see all this played out but the, it, you know obviously on the day that uh, that all these fall festivals start, and we start really pointing our, our minds and whatnot towards the Messiah Yeshua in, in what we're doing. 
is the day that uh, we see the sign of the covenant. That is the sign of the Messiah being divine. At least that's that's how I see it, and I think that's how the scriptures see it as well. Anyway, okay, let's move on. So, um, yes, congratulations to the couple that uh, that yeah had a uh, had their son uh, brought into the covenant, uh, at least physically, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we uh, did get an email, and actually, this person uh, this person asked to be a part of the chat room. I haven't seen them post anything in here yet, but that does not mean that they're not uh, they're not watching. So uh, we, I think, first what we should do is open up the mailbag. Here we go. Mail time. This here's the mail. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. (laughs) It keeps going, by the way. Anyway, um, okay, so here's the thing is that this was left initially on our YouTube channel and uh, or my YouTube channel. The the comment was left for a video that I don't know, maybe eight months old, a year old in the in the show. uh, We had been uh, talking about the Millennium Temple. And sacrifices in the millennium. So if you put, if you want to see the original video, you can go to YouTube, uh, to my channel, and then, uh, or you can just put in <laughs> sacrifices in the millennium into the search on YouTube, and I'm pretty sure it'll come up right away. This is what uh, this gentleman says. He says, "I recently watched a short YouTube video that you and Rob Vanhoff presented, entitled Sacrifices in the Millennium." It was stated in this particular video that the Shekinah did not or may not have been present in Herod's temple, and also that it was prophesied that there will be sacrifices in the future in a future temple, according to Ezekiel. Well, that's true, but I believe in the whole uh, video uh, that it wasn't just Ezekiel we talked about, right? Uh, throughout the prophets, we see a return to, uh, or we see a, 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 the temple return and sacrifices made. Zechariah 14 is a perfect example of that. Uh, Anyway, we'll get to that. Uh, He says, in reference to the presence of God, that is the Shekinah, how do you understand Matthew 23, 21, when Yeshua states, and he who swears by the temple swears both by the temple and him who dwells within it? Okay, let's answer this one first. Uh, My understanding of this, first of all, is that the Shekinah in the temple, in the first temple, was the physical presence, the, the visible presence of the Holy Spirit. So the, when the when the cloud left the temple, I I'm not saying that it wasn't in the second temple, but we certainly don't have any reference to there being a visible presence of the Shekinah, that is the cloud that that uh, resided in the temple. There's nothing in the history books uh, that would indicate that way that I've found at least. No, maybe maybe you know, maybe there is. I just haven't found it. But uh, I haven't read anything. But I'm having two. Is he talking Matthew 23 or like Sermon on the Mount? He's talking you Matthew know. 23, 21. Because there's also... Um, okay, but, we'll, okay. But not only that, well, you want to read it? Here, I'll read it. He says, uh, Matthew 23, 21, I'm in the ESV. He says, and whoever swears by the temple swears by it, and by him who dwells in it, and whoever swears by the heaven swears by the throne of God, and by him who sits upon it. Yeah, would, okay. Yeah. Okay, so, well, maybe we should go back even to verse 16. So, this is Matthew, I'm reading from the, I think this is the New King James. I just wait, grabbed Wait, 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 wait. Why are you reading from the New King James? Because it's just one I have right here. <laughs> okay, go ahead, go ahead. I don't have my accord, my Bible. I'm just playing with you. Go um, 
So he says, woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And they say, whoever swears by, by the altar, it is nothing. Whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift of the altar, gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Okay. So what I'm understanding is this email says how the Shekinah must be, for Yeshua's words to be true, and he brought the word Shekinah into it, right? Shekinah yes, must well, be uh, in response to us because we we were the ones who brought that up. Okay, so let's first of all, I'm glad that he brought this up. The word Shekinah is not in the scripture. That's what. Let's just get that one. Let's make that point. Shekinah is a later word. It's funny because sometimes you hear Christian preachers talk about the Shekinah, the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory. glory. Okay, Shekinah. They're getting that from like later rabbinic uh, works. It's not that there's no Shekinah word Shekinah. So it's a, it's a foreign word we're importing into scriptures. What, like Caleb, what you already talked about is that uh, we, we have the two accounts, one in Kings, one in Chronicles, of Solomon's dedication of the first temple and the Kavod, right? The Kavod fills the temple and it just basically blows everybody away. I mean, like the Levites can't even go in there. The priests can't even go in there. It's just overwhelming. And and I, I was going to talk about a passage from the Scripture. I think Robert Walter might have just mentioned it. But um, where those who saw the second temple being built were like weeping because it was nothing like the glory of the first temple. And we're never told that the, that the kavod of yod filled the second temple. We were never told that in the scripture, in the Tanakh. And apparently, there's no Ark of the Covenant in there, and so on and so forth. And then you have Herod's temple, which is kind of added around Zerubbabel's temple. You know, it kind of extends the second, which is kind of even a third temple, if you would, because they, they expanded it in so many ways. It's really a new thing that Herod did. But it sounds like this guy saying, well, in order for Yeshua's words in Matthew 23 to make sense, God's presence must be in the second temple. And I, I disagree with that, with that uh, logic. Um, Yeshua is criticizing these hypocrites yeah. against, against their own logic. Yeah, exactly. So, for example, in the 21, whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. All that means is... He's using this against the people who don't, they're thinking backwards. Their priorities are wrong. They're saying the gift is more important than the altar. They're saying the gold is more important than the temple. They've, they, yeah. Their, yeah, yeah, their, yeah. their world, you. they've got their evaluation upside down, backwards. And he's yes. just setting an order. He says if you were to be consistent, and that's why there's so many different examples given here. It's, yeah. he's, he's not affirming that God dwells in the second temple. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that's what Yeshua is, is saying here. 
I yeah, that's certainly not the it doesn't seem to me that that's the focus of this passage. But yeah, even, I mean, uh, we know, but, from, but, the, but we even, know yeah. we know from the Gospel of John, he says, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. They thought he was talking about, oh, oh man, it took 46 years to build this thing. You're going to build in three days. And then it says later, the disciples realized he was talking about the temple of his body. That's where God dwells, is in Yeshua. Is, is, you know, it says, and the word became flesh and 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 dwelt among us. Sure, but at the same time, we have to admit that there was obviously a, vis- a, a, a visible presence of the, of the, and yes, John Barnell is correct. Uh, you know, Shekinah is, the Shekinah is not uh, mentioned, you know, that word is not mentioned in the Tanakh. Um, but uh, the, the point is, is that there was not a, a uh, visible presence, or uh, no, I shouldn't say that. There was a visible presence of, of the Holy Spirit, of the Ruach HaKodesh in the uh, in the first temple from uh, from what Absolutely, we can understand. Yeah. yeah, the scriptures are clear clearer about it. Clear, but we, but they're not clear at all about that in the second temple. There, from what from right. what I've seen in the in the scriptures and even in uh, non canonical uh, extra biblical or uh, non canonical. Uh, uh, literature from the first century, we don't see that the, that the Ruach HaKodesh had a uh, visible presence within the temple. I'm not saying that it couldn't have been there. I'm just saying well, here's a, here's you would the thing. think this, that somebody would have said something. Think back to Matthew 1, when Matthew gives us this ideologized, I guess, ideal genealogy, <clears throat> pardon me, from Abraham to Yeshua. He says, Abraham, 14 generations to David— then 14 generations to the Babylonian exile, then 14 generations to Messiah. Yeah. Okay. So David, and then, of course, his son Solomon, David gets the vision for the temple, but David, of course, is not able to build it himself. Solomon builds it. Boom. We have in Chronicles, and we have it in Kings, we have different uh, tellings of this amazing fullness of God dwelling in the midst of this amazing temple. And that, that the king of Israel and all the, the priesthood and the Levites, they're worshiping God in spirit and in truth. It's just evident. It's just there. It's in the scriptures. Then, though, that, so that's a critical moment, Abraham to that. But then what happens? If, if you think of this as the, this could be looked at as the lunar kind of cycle, right? You have the, the new moon is Abraham. The full moon here is David. You have the sun shining in its strength all day, and then you have the moon sh- reflecting that sun all night long. That's like that's that's like the inauguration of that first that Solomon's temple. But then it fades. You have corruption. You have the kingdom split, so on and so forth, to exile. But then you have the hope in the return in Daniel, right? The return, the promise of a Messiah that's going to come, the promise of atonement and redemption, uh, even though the people are bound under the curse of the law of Moses. And that's what Daniel 9 is all about. We are under the curse. We and our fathers have sinned, and so on and so forth. So when that second temple is built, and we don't see, according to the testimony of the Tanakh, we don't see this glory anywhere near. Why? Because there's a glory yet to come an incarnation that's going to happen that is going to 
take all the goodness of what happened with the incarnation of God's Spirit at the time of Solomon, but expand it at a new level where it's going to affect people's hearts from the inside out, rather than be a physical thing that happens. And, and that is that is Yeshua. That and, is Yeshua. And, and, that's, and that's a good point, because when Yeshua is in the temple, we do see a physical uh, a physical, uh, you know, a, a physical Hashem there, right? He knocks over the money. God, yeah, God, God with us. And what happens? They reject him. They reject that physical manifestation or whatever. You know, it's not. Now, I don't want people to think I'm a modalist. I'm not a modalist. So the manifestation is probably the wrong word. But you understand, I, I hope my point is being made that, that, that there is a physical uh, presence of Hashem there in the temple. And that is Yeshua. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So let's keep going to that. Let's go, keep going to the second part of this because we have we have a lot to get to here. Um, he says, secondly, this is the, from the same from the same uh, uh, email. He says, secondly, in reference to Ezekiel mentioning a future temple and sacrifices, how do we understand Ezekiel forty three ten and eleven, in which those who must first become ashamed of their sin would be the same ones that would see Ezekiel right there. Right in their sight. That's W R I T E. Right in their sight, and also be the ones to make or do them. In other words, they would be the ones to build what Ezekiel was shown by the angel. This would mean that Ezekiel must be alive at the giving of the temple pattern, and that those who received it from him would be the ones to carry out this plan. Additionally, Ezekiel forty-three eighteen through nineteen contextualizes the timing of this temple further. It posits that. On the day the altar is built, Ezekiel would uh, give a bull to the sons of Zadok as a sin offering. I, I, he is reading this much differently than I, uh, than I do. Again, it seems to me that Ezekiel must be alive at the initial construction of this temple. Okay, so um, I, I, I'm sorry, I just don't see it this way. First of all, if we take this uh, gentleman's reading the way that uh, he's, he's taking it, then what we have to do is we have to allegorize pretty much the entire uh, Ezekiel 40 through, uh, through 48, right? Uh, th- this new temple. Because that temple was never built. The, the specifications that are given in Ezekiel for the temple that's built, and this is why it's called the Millennial Temple. I think that most scholars agree that this, uh, you know, this temple is obviously something that hasn't been built yet. And uh, it's it's clearly not Zerubbabel's temple. Here's another thing. Imagine, imagine living at the time of the building of the second temple. So we're talking, you know, fifth century BC and you are, um, you're, you're seeing it, you're, the temple's there, you're thinking, wow, here we go, exile's over, we've returned from Babylon, um, the covenant, you know, God didn't abandon us, but then you've got physically what you see in Jerusalem, but then you have this, if you're part of a community that would have heard Ezekiel's prophetic voice and maybe had his text, you'd be going, wow. You'd be, you'd be looking at what you saw in the world, and you'd be looking at Ezekiel, and you'd be going back and forth and going, okay, wait a minute. There still must be something in store for the future. We haven't arrived. So there's not a true sense of arrival. As a matter of fact, there's an ongoing sense of slavery. That's why we have in Nehemiah, is it Nehemiah 9 or Nehemiah 13? Nehemiah 9 says, we are avadim, we are slaves in our own land. This is after the return from Babylonian exile. There's still a, the sense of 
wow, we're slaves. We're truly not free. Even though we have this temple again, what's going on? And so there was a little bit of spiritual unrest in wondering what God is doing. What is God doing with Israel? What is he going to do with the covenant promises? How is this going to look? And the anticipation of the coming Messiah was very important to certain communities in that time. Not all Jewish communities, but we know that the communities of the house of David, in which uh, Messiah uh, was born, we know they, they knew who they were. Okay, wait, wait, hang on just a sec. You've lost me here. What, what does this have to do with the temple? Be, the, the, the peop- the- that, they, that people at Zerubbabel's time would have been, if they had Ezekiel's text, They'd be looking and looking going, wow, for a third temple. I see what you're match. saying. God okay. must have if either either Ezekiel's wrong, right? They might be thinking, "Oh, Ezekiel's wrong. This is, you know, way back." Yeah, he screwed 20, up twenty five years, twenty five hundred years ago. People are like, "Oh, I guess Ezekiel was wrong," or they're like, "Wait a minute, God's there's something not more." Done. Yeah, God's not done yet, and part of that is the anticipation of the coming Messiah. That's no, all. That's there, there, okay, I get what you're saying. There's a lot of people who who say this is all allegory, but then you're going to have to go across because we see in uh, we see in Isaiah we see a coming back to uh, to uh, festivals and whatnot, right? And then obviously Zechariah 14, he says. Uh, this is in 16 and following. He says, Then everyone who survives all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, this, the Lord of hosts. This has not happened, in my opinion. And to keep the Feast of Booths. Well, if there's no sacrifices and there's no temple, you can't keep the Feast of Booths. Right? To keep the Feast of Booths. Well, the you- argument could be uh, those who are in Messiah who have shalom with God and dwell with his king, dwell, we dwell with our king, someone could say, well, that's, that's a spiritual fulfillment of Sukkot. But, that, but that's, not what, that's not what keep the Feast of Booths mean. How do you keep the Feast of Booths according to the Tanakh? There's sacrifices involved. To keep the all Feast the, of Booths. All to, the nation, nations are involved. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay, that's first of all. Let's look at the text that's in question anyway. So this is Ezekiel. I'm, this is, once again, out of the ESV. Uh, this is Ezekiel 43, 10, and 11. Now, the, I'm, Rob, correct me if I'm wrong here. This is just the way that I took the, the passage, the passages that he gave. He said, uh, this is what Ezekiel says. As for you, son of man, describe to the house of Israel the temple, that they may be ashamed of their iniquities. And they shall measure the plan, and if they are ashamed of all uh, that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangement, its, uh, it, its, exists and, uh, its exits and its entrances, that is, its whole design. Okay, first of all, when, he showed, when Ezekiel gave, him, gave them this prophecy, they weren't ashamed. And he's talking to Israel as a nation. He's not talking to a specific generation. He's talking to Israel as a nation. And that's the main point here. And make known to them as well all its statutes and its whole design and all its laws and write it down in their sight, which he did, so that they may observe all its laws and all its statutes and carry them out. Israel as a nation is what uh, is what is being spoken to here, not as a specific people in time. Um, and then he brings up Ezekiel 43, 18 and 19. It says, and he said to me, son of man, thus says the Lord God. So he's speaking through the prophet. And who is the prophet speaking to? It's what God is saying to the nation of Israel. These are the ordinances for the altar. So now Ezekiel is, spe- is giving the word of the Lord to the nation of Israel. 
on the day when it is erected for, for offering burnt offerings upon it and for throwing blood against it, you, that is Israel, shall give to the Levitical priests of the family of Zadok, who draw near to me a, uh, to minister to me, declares the Lord God, a bull from the herd for a sin offering. So I'm not taking this as, as uh, that, that uh, Ezekiel has to be there because he wasn't there. We don't, we've never seen this temple. Do you, do you take it that way? Am I taking that right? Is that how yeah, you read that, it? That, to me, I, my, first, my first inclination is not to read Ezekiel as allegory. Of course, yeah, I'm with you. Are there ways that you could read it and say, you know what, somehow there, this is spiritually talking about Yeshua because it is true that Yeshua is a temple, that Yeshua is building a temple with, uh, with his Talmudim, with living stones, as it says in Peter. And that, so in some respect, maybe there are some connections, but you could also, could you not make the similar connections with Solomon's temple, this idea of God dwelling among his people? So the picture of an earthly temple is always going to have resonance with Yeshua's incarnation. And, and then his giving his ruach, to those who are in him, those who he has atoned for and are part of him. Uh, you know, when he is divine and they are the, the fruitful branches, if you look at that whole thing, we could use temple language from Tanakh to talk about and understand that. Um, but, but we still have that truth, and we do not have to allegorize Ezekiel's temple for it uh, to, to have that truth. I think, you know, this could be... It sounds like it's to me. It sounds like it's something that's going to happen in the future in a in some sort of new creation or new world that God's going to set up. I'll so, tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing that whatever temple institute or whatever there is in Israel, and they're trying they they like elected high priest and all this stuff, and they built a menorah that everybody can see. You know, I don't think that that has nothing to do with Ezekiel's temple. So the the uh, video that I mean look most of Christendom as a whole even I mean and I'm talking cross denominational would agree that uh, that Ezekiel's temple is is not going to be a physical temple or that there isn't going to be sin sacrifices that are going to go on there. We have 9 dislikes on that video and one like. <laughs> so it shows you that people, you know, people the, the view that we're bringing up is not a fond view, uh, you know, and I think people for some reason think that if Yeshua died on the cross and was uh you know and covered the sins of of the elect that for some reason uh, sacrifices uh, can't be done anymore or shouldn't be done anymore. We don't see that in the, in the apostolic scriptures, though. Paul goes up and, and finishes his Nazarite vow and helps others f finish the Nazarite vow, right? Anyway, okay, let's move on. Uh, now, we'll move on to, I hope that uh, answers at least, you know, I, I, this person who wrote in, I, I think his name was Joseph, uh, I, I don't expect him to agree with us. I'm just I'm I'm just giving you my opinion of what uh, you know what I what I how I'm reading this scripture. So uh, you know I'm not trying to say that this is how everyone has to read it. That's just how I'm how I'm reading it. Okay, um, you said you have a uh, a a piece of mail that you would like to read, but this one was uh, hate mail, and uh, w it, it's strange. Hang it's on, just a, hang, hang on, just a sec. Let's let's. Let's start the hate mail uh, the hate mail section of the show. How rude! Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Why do you hate the Rob and Caleb show? Honestly, I think they're vain, stupid, and incredibly self-centered. Okay, go ahead. What do you got? I love that. I love that music so much. The video is pretty good too. Anyway, keep okay, going. Okay, so we we have a blog, a tour resource blog that we haven't really. We've kind of moved away from because we're. Well, it'll get. It's gonna get. It's gonna get integrated into the new site. In any event, so this was when did I? I think two or three years ago, I wrote a review of uh, Andrew Gabriel Roth's Aramaic English. New Testament, fifth edition. So remember that was the it, it, it was the fifth edition. Yeah, so it was yeah February twelfth two thousand fifteen. So okay, year and a half ago maybe. I don't know. Do you can do the math. Um, basically taking and if you go and you look it up, you'll see I took claims made by the website that's selling it, and then I interact with the the book itself and the claims made about it. And it's it's kind of. It gets into the you know minutia of things. It's every a good, while, it's it's a good scholarly review. Every once in a while, we get uh, someone will come across it and they they post a a comment. And well, but before before the comment is visible to everybody else, it has to be filtered. And I have I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna post this one because it's just full of. It's all lowercase, very little punctuation, lots of, except sometimes it's all caps. So, um, anyway, <laughs> I love it this, when people do that. This is uh, a guy named, now it says Ron Taylor, Ron Taylor, and I looked up the email, but I did I, I could I couldn't really find anything about whether this is even a real person or it's like a drive-by. It's a dummy you know, drive, account, drive-by shooting kind of thing, anonymous. But some of the points, and it, it's pretty big paragraph, but. Um, he makes a point here. He says, Roth has done an honest and trustworthy job on his A-N-E-T. First off, it's <laughs> A-E-N-T. But he yeah. says, his A-N-E-T version of Aramaic, period. I see you That's right not through. even a real sentence. That's not even I a know. real sentence. <laughs> and then I see right through, T-H-R-U, all the anti-Semitism, <laughs> S-E-M-M-I-T-I-S-M, <laughs> you're try, you're trying to sell. Okay, and then he goes so uh, so, uh, being accused of trying to sell anti-Semitism. This is wait. And, this is when we need Erna. I, I'm telling you, this is when we need, need Erna. How and, how how is how is giving a critical review of someone's book anti-Semitic? Not only that. Okay, so Roth has done an honest and trustworthy job. Okay, who can make that? My whole claim is that he did not. Do an honest and trustworthy job, and I did it at uh, at a language level, a philological level. We're going to the the actual text and looking at his claims, claim after claim, against the facts of the language of the Peshitta, his lack of knowledge and understanding of Aramaic, his lack of understanding of Greek transliterations into Aramaic. And this guy is we don't know who we don't know who he is because he doesn't seem to have a real internet identity that he's willing to share. But yet he's he's going to tell me that Roth has done his honest and trustworthy job. And I'm like okay, and then it it goes on and on. He for, for some reason he's he spells Yashua Y A S H U A. So the guy's first language is in English. Okay. But in the end, in the end he says 
sola scriptura, period, scripture and scripture alone, period, only the original Hebrew and Greek scriptures where God breathed them alone, or where God breathed them alone. So it feels a little bit, I don't know, is that bipolar? When, when he's saying, I, I don't know, that he wants to say, Roth has done an honest and trustworthy job, that I'm peddling anti-Semitism, but then he's saying that the original Hebrew and Greek were God-breathed. I, I don't understand how this person's mind has these ideas in it at the same time. And well, they, that, they sound confused. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to share that, uh, being accused of, and then he uses the word anti-Semitism again in here with do, double M. It, it's just, I don't know. Okay, let's move on. Let's keep going. Uh, should I read out of uh, our little exegetical fallacies today? Yeah, please do. Do okay. you have a, a set section? I do. So this is uh, Dwight Carson. Uh, no, D.A. Carson, Carson, yeah. D. Exegetical Carson. Fallacies, second edition, which is in the show notes, by the way. Oh, which I forgot to put up on the uh, on the show page. My bad. I'll do, th I'll do that after the show. Sorry. Uh, it says, uh, this fallacy occurs when the late, oh, this is called semantic anachronism. This fallacy occurs when a late use of a word is read back into earlier, earlier literature. At the simplest level, it occurs within the same language, as when the Greek early church fathers use a word in a manner not dem uh, demonstrably envisaged by the New Testament writers. It is not obvious, for instance, that their use of epis, uh, epis Episcopos, which means bishop, or is translated bishop, uh, yeah, to designate a church leader who has oversight over several local churches has any New Testament warrant. But the problem has a second face when we also add a change of language. Our word dynamite is etymologically derived from dunamis, dunamis yeah. which means power or even miracle. I do not know how many times I have heard preachers oh. offer some such rendering of Romans one sixteen as this. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the dynamite of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. <laughs> yes, I've I was, heard that. I was, I was reading this the other day. I was chuckling because I've heard this too. Often with a knowing tilt of the head, as if something profound or even esoteric has been uttered. This is not just the old root fallacy revisited. It is worse. It is an appeal to a kind of reverse etymology, the root fallacy compounded by anachronism. Did Paul think of dynamite when he penned this word? And in any case, even to mention dynamite as a kind of analogy is singularly inappropriate. Dynamite blows things up tears things down, rips out rock, gouges holes, destroys things. The power of God con, uh, concerning which Paul speaks, he often identifies with the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And Amen. He, gives, he says it. Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. And as it operates in us, its goal is ace soterion, so, soterion uh, unto salvation aiming for the wholeness and perfection implicit in the consumption of our salvation. Quite apart from the semantic anachronism, therefore, dynamite appears inadequate as a means of raising Jesus from the dead or as a means of conforming us to the likeness of Christ. Of course, what preachers are trying to do when they talk about dynamite is give some indication of the greatness of the power involved. Even so, Paul's measure is not dynamite, measure is not dynamite but the empty tomb. 
In exactly the same way, it is sheer semantic anachronism to note that in the text, God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word behind cheerful is uh, hil- hil- hilarion. hilarion and, conclude, and conclude that what God really loves is a hilarious giver. Perhaps that's we, why you should. You know who for... said that? You know, oh man, at the at the MJAA uh, conference, uh, Cantor, Ron Cantor said that I think two years ago. He was talking about hilarious giving. Perhaps we should play a laugh track record while the offering plate is being circulated. <laughs> oh. All right, there you are for uh, this week's exegetical fallacies uh, by D. A. Carson. I couldn't agree with him more. This is really a good book. Okay. So that's that's what the the Strong's the people who have looked to Strong's Concordance as like their go to for understanding Bible language. Yes, and this is it would probably come up with that kind of explanation. Or they would look up in a in a good dictionary, modern dictionary, look up dynamite, and they would see oh, etymology Greek dunamis. Oh, and then they look up dunamis in the Greek, and they look at where it occurs in the Bible, and they're like. Wow, their eyes open, and now they have book several books to write about it. Yeah, I think uh, which is uh, the the point of of dynamite, which didn't come around. I mean, when was dynamite created? I don't know. I think okay. I think it was they were trying to make fireworks and pack too much powder in the in the wrap. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I really don't know. Eighteen sixty seven. Invention in England in May 7th, 1867, in Sweden on October 19th, 1867. There's another thing. There's some of, I don't know if it's in the, the Septuagint or one of the variant, but somewhere in, in the Second Temple period, Greek, Jewish Greek, we have the Shema written as with all your dunamis, with all your di- love, God, with all your dynamite. Nice. That could be used for ter- by terrorists. Ooh. I'm loving God with my dynamite. I'm going to blow up stuff. Not that they would. That's a, a side comment. But the fallacy, exegetical fallacy of anachronism. Yeah, they take, exactly. Taking words from later times that have been derived from that word and then go back. And, well, here's a simple one. Even within the English language, the word gay, we've talked about this before. Like, yeah. is it the King James, if, if someone comes into your assembly or your synagogue with gay apparel, right? Well, today you read, you read that and it's, it's like, wait a minute. Okay, gay means something different now in popular imagination than it did 500 years ago. Yeah, of course. So it would be silly to take today's meaning and import it back. So that's just, it makes sense. But that's why we're big on history matters, right? Theology matters. And history, history implies chronology, chronology, right? Because that's what we're taught over and over again in Tanakh. We're taught chronology. Genesis 1 is a chronology. The whole book of, you know, First and Second Chronicles and chronology, all the histories, right? And whether it's the books of Samuel or Kings, those are chronologies. The Bible teaches us to think. The whole Torah is a chronology. Why? Because that's, that's God designed us. He wants us to think in terms of stories that change and unfold over time and develop because he wants us to see 
you know, the promised theology. He wants us to see the seed. He wants to see how the seed gets planted. He wants to see how then the water comes, you know, and the sunshine and how it grows and seasons go by and it survives and then it bears fruit. And then that fruit has seed in it. He wants us to see the cycle and the development of the idea over time. And chronology and terminology are so critical. Okay. I want to move on because we're, uh, we're going to go long here, I can tell, but that's okay. Uh, we got it. We got a whole. What are we going to talk about? Have we even got to our main? No, topic? we haven't gotten to our main topic, um, and so we'll just touch on this. So, uh, we're t- the the Melchizedekian priesthood is what we're yeah. going to talk about. Now, I'm going to read. I'm going to read a passage for everybody. This is uh, so the um, Melchizedek is only brought up uh, twice in the Tanakh. Once in uh, Genesis, where we first hear of, of Melchizedek and the priesthood. And the second time, I, uh, by the way, I wasn't trying, I'm sorry if I cut you off. I wasn't trying to, I thought, I felt no, like you right. were done and I was trying to move us uh, into a different direction. Um, so it's only found twice in the Tanakh, right? With Genesis, Genesis 14 and then obviously again in uh, Psalm 110, which we'll talk about in a few seconds. I want to go here to Genesis 14. Now, uh, if you don't know the uh, this passage, this is an interesting passage. This is when Lot gets kidnapped. Uh, he's kidnapped and he's taken away, and Abram finds out about it. And so, what does he do? He goes and he gets his uh, 318 skilled men, and he pursues after the uh, the captor the captors of Lot. 14:16 says, "Then he brought back." Well, let's start in 15, uh, uh, and he divided his forces against them by night. He, this is Abram, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of the Kedor, man, I, I, how do you say that word? Kedor, Kedor Lamor. Yeah, Kedor Lamor and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God, God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the... Okay, so this is basically where we're going to end here. Now, just a couple of notes. I'm sure everybody is well aware of this and has noted this many times in their own reading of this. But uh, first of all, we don't have any, uh, there's no talk in this passage of who Melchizedek is, except for that he's a a king. He's the king of Salem, right? Um, And he comes out, he is a priest of of God Most High, which is interesting because the kingly line of, of Levite, of the Levites has not been established yet. So how is he a priest? That's a good question to ask. Uh, second of all, so who appointed him as a priest? Why doesn't he have any lineage? Don't, why don't we know where he's from or what family or anything he's from? Um, and uh, and I think this is obviously done by design, of course, by Moses and God, God himself. Uh, and then also, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Abram gives him a tenth of everything. Now, this couldn't be considered a tithe because I... Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that the tithe can only be produce from the land of Israel. So a tithe is not something monetary. It's something 
produced from the the ground of of the land, which with is given back to, to God. Le, with the respect to the Levitical priesthood, correct? I don't think that we see a tithe. Now, there's free will offerings, but, but and whatnot. The, the word just means tenth, though. Okay, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah fair enough. Yes, but you're, you're right. There, what Caleb, I think, what you're pointing out is there's a difference. Once we get to the the Torah, of that governs the people of Israel in the land under a, a Levitical priesthood, tithe cannot just be anything. It's defined 10% of certain specific things. Yes, exactly. That, and that's what I'm trying to say. Exactly. Th thank you very much. So, but it seems as though, uh, uh, <laughs> it seems as though uh, Abram gives the Melchizedek priest of, of Salem, the king of Salem, Kind of like a tenth, you know, he gives him a tenth of what, what he has uh, received. And uh, so just as you would give a, a priest, uh, you know, uh, some of what you have, uh, it seems as though that, that's what he does here. So this is a very interesting passage. Now, sh do you want to say anything about this uh, before we move to Psalms? Because I'm just going to give you my overview of what I think is going on with the Melchizedekian priesthood. And then I'm going to let you run with it. Go for it. Yeah, go ahead and read the psalm, too, if you want. Well, I put this in everybody's show notes. This is Psalm 110. This is a great psalm. Uh, in my mind, this is clearly a, a, for, a, a prophecy of the Messiah. This is a psalm of David. David says, the Lord says to my Lord, and this has been a huge uh, point of I mean, papers and books have been written on this phrase here. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, this I believe is also a reference to uh, Isaiah, uh, or yeah, um, vice versa. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Once again, I still think this is obviously talking about the Messiah. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what does this mean? You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Well, I think that what David is saying is that the Messiah would first, I think his main point is that, uh, that the Messiah would be divine. That he would be Emmanuel. Because Mel Melchizedek, it's not that, I don't think that uh, that Mel Melchizedek was, uh, you know, didn't have a father or mother or anything like that. Uh, I think that the text doesn't give us his lineage, and I think that uh, David picks up on this, and it's as if he doesn't have a father and mother, and the Messiah would not have uh, a father uh, except for the the Holy One, right? And we see this in, in Hebrews, in the Hebrews 7 passage. Uh, so uh, I think that the main point of the writer here is that uh, the Messiah would be divine, that he would not have a normal lineage, just like the, the priest of uh, Melchizedek. I think his other point here is that he would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, meaning that he is also a king. And this is something that we see in David as well, right? And finally, I'm going to see the th one of the things, and the reason I, br I bring all this up and the reason I'm saying all this is because I think within the Messianic movement and the Hebrew Roots movement, one of the things that we've kind of fallen into is this idea that there's actually some uh, you know, some different special priesthood, and there is in terms of the priesthood of the Messiah Yeshua, but that somehow uh, Melchizedek was actually of this different, uh, this different priesthood, uh, and that, you know, I've heard some teachers say that we're now of the order of Melchizedek, we're all priests, uh, this kind of thing. 
This is nonsense in my mind. What I think the point of of the writer of uh, you know David writing Psalm one ten, also the writer of the Hebrews, he says uh, in in Hebrews one uh, seven one and following, he says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met uh, Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, and to him Abraham uh, apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and then he is also King of Salem, that is, King of Peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, and this is a main point, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now, did the writer to the Hebrews actually think that Melchizedek didn't have a father and mother and that he was uh, eternal? Some people have suggested that uh, Melchizedek was, in fact, the Messiah, Yeshua himself. I don't believe that. I believe that he was a real king and a real priest. Um, But that since the text doesn't give us genealogy, this is what the writer to the Hebrews is picking up. Then below, he says, uh, in 10 following, he says, oh, I'm sorry, 11 following, he says, now, perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it, the people received the law, the Torah. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well, in the Torah as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe. That is the Levites, right? From which no one has ever served at the altar. Anyway, keep going. Okay, so so uh, should we read the final 14? For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So he goes on. And basically what he's saying is, is that our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, he doesn't have a earthly father. Therefore, his lineage is that of, it's like Melchizedek. He doesn't have a, a, a physical lineage, uh, even though he is from the tribe of Judah, right? His physical lineage is through the tribe of Judah. Uh, so tell me your thoughts. What do you think here, Rob? Well, I another scripture to, is First Peter 2, because we could talk a little bit more about that the priesthood idea. It, uh, well, I guess you, if you start at the end of chapter 1, maybe. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. This is to believers in Yeshua, those who are born from above. They're hearing this. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And then he quotes Isaiah 40. All flesh is grass. All the glory uh, of man is as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That's Mm. the passage he quotes. He says, now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So this is the word by which you are born from above and bring forth fruit to God, it says. And then elsewhere, chapter 2, he begins, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking. So that's the works of the flesh, right? As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, and he quotes again Isaiah, the stone which, or Psalm 118, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Okay, so and it, it, this is all from the epistle of First Peter. But I think that we can think of ourselves as priests in the regard, I think we're supposed to, in the way that he's talking about. Um, but one thing is that, if, back to the Melchizedek priesthood for a second. As you quoted, and as we know from the scriptures, Melchizedek, whatever kind of Kohen he is, it's not defined by uh, the Torah given on Mount Sinai for Israel uh, Levitical priesthood. And the epistle of the Hebrews points out, says Yeshua would not be a Levitical priest because he's from Judah, and he makes that point. So what what did the, the people in the, the ancient Israel, when they heard this psalm, the Lord has sworn and will not repent, you are a Cohen forever after the order of Melchizedek, which Psalm 110 is what Yeshua quotes to the, the Pharisees in Matthew. He says, Who's son, whose son is he? And they said, son of David. And he says, well, then how did David by the Ruach HaKodesh say, call him Lord? And they were unable to answer him. So they stopped that. They're like, well, we're not going to ask him any more questions. <laughs> so Yeshua is very aware of Psalm 110 as being a critical piece into who he is, informing who, what his, uh, uh, how, how his people are to understand who he is through the ancient uh, scriptures of Israel. But what, if we look back to the passage you read from Genesis 14, it affirms who Avram is. Uh, an Avram, uh, it affirms Avram as a man of faith that is a servant of of the true God. And he, Abraham receives a blessing from this person. And Abraham gives a tenth of his of the spoils to him. And the very next thing that happens is that God appears to Abraham affirming that blessing and saying, I will I'm going to make your name great, right? He goes on in Genesis 15. He says, I'm your great reward. Sorry, I added a little bit of Genesis 12 there. Genesis 15, I'm your great reward. That's when Abraham says, what are you going to give me? And that's where he has the promise. He says, go out and look at the stars and count them if you're able. So will your offspring be. And he gets the, he gets the whole promise there. And it says, Abraham believed and it was accredited to him as righteousness. So the Melchizedek priesthood is a is a a priesthood that affirms the Abrahamic covenant. It affirms righteousness by faith. It a it uh, somehow points to a priesthood beyond that of the Levitical priesthood, because just like it says in Hebrews, Levi that received the tithe under the the Torah of Moses governing Israel was in the loins of Abraham, paying tithe to Melchizedek. So that somehow the Torah sets us up 
from the get-go to think of this 10%. When we, when we start reading about the Levites and the tithe, and the, the author of the Epistle of Hebrews is just underscoring this that's in the Torah there. You, just, you can't, it's unmistakable. That Levi was in Abraham paying this tithe. So we're to understand whatever we think about the high priest Aaron and what he's doing and atonement and Yom Kippur and all this points back somehow to this relationship between Melchizedek and Abraham. Also, one other point, he's called a, a Melchizedek, a king of righteousness. Well, the Psalms, if you know, traditionally, some of the Psalms that are read on Yom Teruah, Psalm 95 through Psalm 100, are all about God being a king, a righteous king, a righteous judge. And so, so Melchizedek has this, says he's a, a righteous king. He's a king of shalom, a king of peace. And if if we look at that and we look at our fall feasts and we think of Sukkot, if you're going to dwell with your king, you have to be at peace with your king. You, uh, someone who's not at, at peace cannot stand long in the presence of the king. The ki you're going to be destroyed. If you, you either submit or uh, to his rule and then you, you have his peace. And that's what Sukkot is. If we, we hear the call of the king, we, we are confident in Yeshua that we are forgiven by the priest's side. So you have the king and the priest working together. I know I'm, I'm, it sounds like I'm going on a, a lot of really broad topic, but this all comes back. Because Melchizedek is a king and he's a Kohen. We have the declaration of the king at Yom Teruah. We have the work of the Kohen at Yom Kippur. And being in Messiah, we are confident on both sides. We're confident in our relationship with our king. We're confident... In, in the forgiveness that we have through his priesthood and the promise of dwelling with him in his shalom is right on the horizon. And we, we who are in Messiah are, uh, have all the confidence and joy of standing in that faith that Paul talks about in Romans 5. Um, in 1 John, we read that time and again. Is faith, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? So that you can have fellowship, right? So that we can all have fellowship in the joy of the spirit of Messiah Yeshua. That's, that's the, the Sukkot. So in, in one realm, we have this happening in the, the cycles of the year, right? We have the catechism of the, of the feasts of the Lord given in the Torah. Um, and it's an important reminder for us. But we do, we who are in Yeshua, do have the truth of this blessing already in our lives. And I think that the Melchizedek, whatever we want to understand the Melchizedek priesthood to be, it has to, in, it has to in, uh, incorporate all these things. It has to incorporate Yeshua, a, a vision of a king that we're under, who is a king of, of justice and shalom. And it has to do with an eternal priest who, here's the thing with the, with the Levitical priest, just if we're just going to really hammer this down, is that you might have a really good priest for one year who loves the Lord, who walks in the Shema, and he teaches the people the Torah, and they repent, and they come back to God. But if his sons come up and are wicked, then the generation under those wicked priests are, are going to be they're going to stumble in the Torah. They're not going to be taught what sin is. And that's what Malachi gets all in about. You've caused people to stumble in the Torah in Malachi chapter 2. 
we have an enduring priest. We have Yeshua does not die ever again. He lives, he, he intercedes for me and you, Caleb, and all you, our listeners, just as he interceded for our ancestors a thousand years ago, just as he inter- in our timeline. He's never going to die. He, he says he ever lives to intercede for his people. Yep. So, so with this eternal priesthood that we read about in Psalm 110 is also critical here. Finally, one more point is, is the suffering of Yeshua, dying for sin, standing, because the priest stands in the gap between the living and the dead. This is, this is it, Numbers 26 is a good picture of this. After the rebellion of Korah, it, Moshe, uh, Moshe and Aharon, they fall on their face, and Moshe says, go quickly, get the censer, put incense on it, and go stop the plague. And there's a line there that says, Aaron stood between the living and the dead. That's what the, that's Aaron, the high priest. He's standing, he's holding fast. On one side of him, he is, he's at shalom with the king, and he's being obedient. But on the other hand, he is stopping, he's feeling the effects of the death on the other side of him. And this is Yeshua being uh, mocked and crucified, where he's still holding out mercy and forgiveness, even though he's even though he's in a, a situation that is getting darker and darker and, and more and more uh, suffering is being loaded on by the moment, he's holding fast this line between uh, uh, holiness and what is true and what is good, the true character of God, who is, as it says in uh, Exodus 34, he is, he is uh, a compassionate, merciful, long-suffering, abounding in in chesed, in loving kindness and truth, who notzer chesed, who guards chesed for a thousand generations. So these are the qualities that Yeshua, that is Yeshua. Yeshua is Yodhe in the flesh. He's not going to, he can't be, and he's holding out that space. Why? Because he's, there's a bigger picture for the joy set before him. He is working salvation. He is working atonement for those who are lost in sin that he is pulling out, He's that he is through uh, God's providential election, has he's paying for their sins and drawing them out. So there's this priesthood element, and I think, I know this, I've been long-winded here, I think that whatever this, we want to understand the Melchizedek priesthood to be, I would be okay saying, well, it would be the function that any one of us, if we're in Messiah, and we're interacting with another person in the world, who's against us, whether they're persecuting us, they could, it could be physical, it could be verbal, it could be whatever, that someone else's sin is, is uh, affecting us. For us to hold the ground of mercy and grace through prayer, through long-suffering, when we have the fruit of Messiah Yeshua, the fruit of the Ruach, come through, even in those kinds of situations where we're blessed, even though we're being cursed, we're blessing, which goes back to Abraham, you know, Genesis 12. You be a blessing, that God's the one that'll curse those who curse you, not me. I'm to be a blessing. I'm to stand this ground and to show God's love, even to the people who are my enemies, that that is a kind of priesthood where you're you're kind of standing between the living and the dead, just like Aaron was. Um, 
Anyway, these are just some of the thoughts I've well, had. Well, hang on just a second. I want to go back because because the in uh, actually this will bring back uh, the person who wrote the email about the question about Ezekiel because uh, they were posting questions outside of the chat room. Um, so, but that's not a priesthood because that's yeah, pre, pre, what do priests do? Priests, no, priests priests have the priests have, bless priests no, give blessing. Priests, they teach priests have they, priests have the people behind them. And their face towards God. Prophets have their their uh, God uh, speaking behind them, and their face towards the people. No, but, but okay, true. But the priests also, it says in Malachi, they are their covenant was to teach Torah to the people, and to get and so people learn what sin is, so that they repent, and then they do. Then the Levites will teach them. Okay, well, if this was your sin, then this is what you need to do. I don't think so, that we can be priests. I think that only that Yeshua is the priest of the of those. So, how do you believe. understand this first P, this first Peter passage? You are a holy priesthood. The people, you, you, the Israel, Israel is a holy priesthood. Not I don't, not, I, not people who are in Messiah. He's talking to believers in Yeshua. Yeah, I don't know. I would have to. I'd have to. I'd have to uh, uh, do a little bit more study, but I. I, I I don't I mean we don't see anyone being able to be a priest. Somebody can't just be like, "Oh, I'm going to be a priest today." We have a priest. Okay. We ha- our priest is Yeshua okay. the Messiah, true. right? Right, right, right. And his his exactly that is true. But if the spirit of Messiah is in you, you can't. And someone comes up and curses you or slaps you on the face. You if you respond out of if the ruach of Messiah that's in you responds. That is Yeshua's. That is Yeshua's priesthood coming That's through. Exactly, into the world. Yeshua's priesthood. That's not okay. our priesthood. Well, okay, but you're in, in that regard. You're inseparable from Him. I agree, but it's I'm his, not. It's I'm His not, life that's in you. It's, I, I I agree. His spirit. His spirit dwells through us, but it's His priesthood that shines through. Yes, he right. Yes, I would I would agree that. I think that we're saying the same thing. It's, just it's not just that, just we're splitting hairs over uh, over. Uh, we're not right. We're, the key one of the key points we need to remember, and I think you and I are totally in agreement on this, is that our life, but is any life that we have that is of value to God, is Yeshua's ruach in us. It's the it's the ruach sure. in us. That anything else is of the flesh and is going to be pruned off or die away we're going to give you guys an extra little bit of time here since we're not going to be here next week uh so we're going to go back to well on his facebook page it's jerusalem he says uh what specifications in zerubbabel's temple do not match ezekiel's temple i mean do we need to exegete the entire uh eight chapters his i mean the uh the dimensions don't match. The dimensions of the of of uh, Ezekiel's temple do not match that of Zerubbabel's temple. Not at all. So that's the first thing he says. Um, and I, I I mean, look, I'll agree that that uh, that the view that I, that I'm taking here and Rob is taking here with uh, with regard to a millennial temple is not popular within Christendom, but even within Christendom, and Within messianic, uh, without within messianic faith, people agree that that Zerubbabel's temple certainly is not the temple that was that is being described by Ezekiel. 
I mean, even even your Christian, even the Christians who don't think that there's going to be uh, sacrifices in the millennial temple, or that there will even be a millennial, uh, you know, that it's all allegory, will tell you that, that it's allegory because Ezekiel's temple was not the same as as Zerubbabel's temple. His uh, his second question was, isn't Ezekiel the son of man? Let's go back to that passage real quick. He's talking about the uh, forty three. 18, I believe, uh, 18 and 19. And he said to me, son of man, thus says the Lord. Yes. Okay. The son of man is Ezekiel. I completely agree with that. But once again, let's talk about what uh, the the function of a prophet is. The prophet has uh, has uh, God t- talking to him, and he faces the people and talks to them. So God says to him, He says, "Son of man, thus says the Lord." And and how do, how do the prophets speak? Thus says the Lord, and then they tell the people what the Lord says. So, son of man, thus says the Lord. Now he speak. Now God is speaking through the prophet to Israel. The prophet says to Israel, "These are the ordinances for the altar." On the day when it is erected for offering burnt offerings upon it and for throwing blood against it. You, who is he talking to? God is speaking through Ezekiel, the son of man, to the people of Israel. So God's saying to Israel, you shall give to the Levitical priests of the family of Zadok, who draw near to me to minister to me, declares the Lord God, a bull from the herd for a sin offering. Right? That's how I'm taking it. I don't, I mean... Obviously, Ezekiel is relaying this to the people, right? God tells him that in the same pass in in forty three. He says that. I think it's in the other passage that this gentleman brought up to write it down in there. Right? He says uh, forty three ten and eleven. As for you, son of man, describe this house of Israel, the temple, that they may be ashamed of their iniquities, and they shall measure the plan. And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangement, its exits, and its entrances, that is, its whole design, and make known to them as well all its statutes and its whole design and all its laws, and write it down in their sight so that they may observe all its laws and all its statutes and carry them out. In other words, God's speaking through Ezekiel to the to the nation of Israel as a whole. And not even necessarily the people within that time. He's speaking to the nation of Israel as a whole. The prophets do this a lot. If okay, and let's let's go back. If you're going to let's say you reject my reading of it and you think that Ezekiel is the one is is uh, uh the one that that has to be alive here. This did not come true. Right? And how are you going to explain Isaiah and, and uh, Zechariah then? Once again, within the within the uh, within multiple prophets, we see a coming back to the temple after specific things are done that have not happened yet. Zechariah six uh, fourteen is a perfect example of this. That's good. Yeah, that's true. So I mean. I, I guess my question to uh, the person writing this email would have to be, if you're going to take it that uh, that this is talking uh, to specifically to Ezekiel and not to Israel as a nation, then what are you going to do with the rest of Ezekiel and with the rest of the prophets? Is it allegory? Are you going to, uh, you know, are we, go- and granted, some people within Christendom, uh, and, uh, you know, yeah, some people in multiple dom- denominations of Christendom believe that it is allegory. Now, this is the one nice thing that the, uh, that the uh, dispensationalists have going for them. I fully reject dispensational theology. 
But the one thing that the dispensationalists have been able to do is say that it's not allegory. And the way that they've been able to say that is that the people of God, the Christians, or, you know, the people who have faith in the Messiah Yeshua will be taken up in the rapture. They'll be up in heaven, and then all of this physical stuff will happen with Israel, With Israel, that is, uh, the Jews who have not accepted uh, Christ, uh, you know, up until the rapture. And then all this stuff will happen, and they'll be able to, uh, to accept, accept Christ after that. Uh, John Barnell posted a picture. <laughs> Do the mice. <laughs> Do you see that, Rob? Yeah, that's Jimmy. Uh, what's oh, that's from uh, Good Times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, so I mean, yes, I'm I'm willing to hear uh, different uh, ideas on this. Uh, on you know, I would love to know how you take it. How do you take this? You know, the person who wrote this email, how do you take this? Um, uh, and actually, hang on, Robert Walter, he uh, he has posted something. Let's Robert's go take got all sorts of great stuff. I here. know, man. I can't believe he listens to our show. It's humbling because he's he's doing work that uh, is awesome work. Yeah. Baruch Hashem, unbelievable Robert. for the king. Shout out. It makes me. Uh, it makes shout me... out to Brooklyn. I can't. I don't know how. How do you? How does a Brooklynite say Brooklyn? I can't do it. <laughs> he, uh, but but he's doing amazing work. Okay, and and it's humbling to think that he would take the time. I don't know why he would, but I'm thankful that he does to take the time to uh, sit in our chat room and and uh, give us verses like this. So he says, the Ezekiel 43 1 through 10 passage and Revelation uh, 21 uh, 1 through 7. So let's read uh, what Robert has put up here for us. Revelation 21 1 through 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. <clears throat> Pardon me. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God as with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall, not, shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So once again, we, it seems as though uh, Yeshua is, is reigning from Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, in what, you know, I, I, what does that look like? I don't know. I sure, I, I think it's going to be amazing. That's uh, that much I can say. Anything else you want to say before we go, Rob? Uh, no, I, I look back at everything we talked about. I kind of look like the terrain we covered. I'm like, man, we like really. <laughs> I wonder if people feel like we're like drive them through all sorts of different <laughs> terrain today. But I, I hope I hope in spite of the all the different angles we looked at and talked about that people were able to to uh, grab onto something that was uh, encouraging, yeah, meaningful, or even at least if it it's, uh, spurred a desire to, to dive back in and, and tackle maybe a difficult uh, spiritual topic or scriptural uh, uh, 
understanding that they want to, you know, dive back into in a Bible study or something. Yeah, don't forget that we're taking uh, next week off. We're taking you off for Yom Kippur. We hope that everyone has an easy uh, and light fast, uh, those who will be fasting. And, uh, uh, yeah, may our hearts be turned towards our Messiah Yeshua on the Day of Atonement. Yes, yes. And if you have, if you are in Yeshua, if you're in Christo, like it says in Greek, or Ba Mashiach, if you're in Messiah, in the Messiah, you come with all confidence. Yep. Of the, of the forgiveness that is the core part of Yom Kippur, the atonement yes. and the forgiveness of sins. If if your heart is not right, then now's your time to to clean it up. It's a, it's built into our our week here. We have that blowing of the the horns, blowing of the shofar. The king's on his way. Get your house in order because you know judgments judgments coming and. To be in Messiah Yeshua, we've already, our debt has been paid. Mm-hmm. Our debt has been paid. We don't, we, we only, we only owe love and we abide in love because God is love and we walk in the light. If we say we walk in the light, but we, we hate our brother, we don't, we're lying. We don't really walk in the light. We walk in the darkness. That's my paraphrase of First John. John, again. yes. But, 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 uh, you can come to Yom Kippur and all the, the beauty of its meaning and significance and deep spiritual uh, significance for our life, uh, but with the confidence of the joy of, of the anticipation, anticipation of dwelling with your king. Um, and, and during Sukkot, having yeah. a, a pure heart before him and having a clean conscience between, with man and with God. So in two weeks, we will have a new uh, new chat room. Thank you, everyone, for being in the chat room today, and uh, we will have a new chat room. If you want to figure out how to sign up for that, we will send something to everyone who is in the current chat room explaining uh, how to sign up. But also, you can go to TorahResource.com, hover over the Internet Radio button there in the toolbar, and when the drop-down comes down... You can go to the bottom one, one, which is the Rob and Caleb show. And on there, you can find all sorts of great stuff about the show, uh, including how to sign up for our show notes. And we will be sending something out to everyone on show no- uh, in the show notes as well before that time happens. So uh, keep keep tu- tuned in to that. All right. We hope that uh, this somehow um, furthered your study or made you interested in something. Even if you disagree with us, that's fine. If you do disagree with us, give us a call, 253, oh, I can't even find it now, 465-3205, and have a great Yom Kippur, which we hope honors our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah.